If you're not embarrassed of the first release of your software, you waited too long. And, and it's not just true for software, it's true for everything. Hi, I'm Nils Spinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Adam Nathan. Adam, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Adam. Looking forward to digging into all things leadership, your background and experience here. But first, would you share with the audience a little bit about your role today in the company that you work for? Absolutely. I'm with a company here in New York City called CoEnterprise. We're an IT consultancy, really specializing a lot on data warehouses and data of all kinds, Tableau, helping people see and understand their data. Awesome. And what specifically is your role at CoEnterprise? So I am the director of solutions engineering, which means I help our clients take a business problem and a sense of what's wrong with technology, translate it into a solution for them, make sure they understand, and then help the salespeople orchestrate that into a deal. And then I help hand that off to the services group that does the work of delivering it. So there's a, there's a little chain of value that I'm part of and my team is part of. Uh, that's awesome. And I got to imagine you straddle the line too between balancing the needs of the sales organization, which is get deals done quickly, and the needs of the services organization, which is actually have a project that we can execute against and make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success. So how do you straddle that line between those two sometimes competing demands? Well, they're always competing, really. Like you say, you know, the, the sales team wants to sell quickly. They want to get to a defined deal and they want to hand it over the fence. The services team wants twice as much time. They want to be careful. They want to know they have high quality. And, and my group and my responsibility is really to straddle that, like you say, which is how do we get to a reasonable, solid estimate? How do we engage both sides in the conversation? There's a lot of room for raw feelings in those relationships. Uh, how do we meet weekly to, to, to air issues and so on? So pre-sales is really on the engineering side that I'm part of is really about some of the subtler, trickier parts of sales, humans and relationships. And those relationships, right, are on, on both sides. There are not a lot of people that live in both sides of those camps, you know, myself included. I've been on the receiving end of a lot of those things that came down the pipe and myself have had to try to build relationships upstream to influence whatever came downstream. But it's a hard, it's a hard role. Any, you know, nuggets of wisdom or thoughts that you would share with others who are in a similar situation where they're maybe they're on one side or the other, but just to have empathy for the other side and to see both things from different perspectives. Well, I think you said it with empathy. I think both sides are really hard. Selling is really hard. Delivering is really hard. They all involve relationships with the customer that everybody's trying to protect. 
One advantage for me is I've when I had my own company for about a decade, I was in both positions. I had to make sure that what we delivered worked. I had to make sure that we charged enough to to cover our deal. But the number one thing is communication. I know that's just like the boringly familiar, but scheduling time to go, what's working, what didn't we do? A couple of weeks ago, I had to do a whole apology to someone. So sometimes it's saying, I'm sorry, I didn't get that right. Yeah. And and acknowledging where you weren't right. And that's cool. That's awesome. Well, maybe the, you know, the main thing we go to, there's a reason why, because <laughs> it works. <laughs> when we're talking communication, it's at the center of everything everything that we do and the success of most leaders in the grand scheme of the professional world. So I want to go back to an earlier point in your career that you told me about. And when we initially got connected, I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you starred in the music video for Bad opposite the one and only Michael Jackson. I remember when this video came out and how big a deal a 15 minute music video was. And it was even directed by Martin Scorsese. So can you share with us the story behind this video? And we're gonna pull out some incredible leadership lessons from what you had working with some of the top people in the world. Well, there's definitely a great leadership lesson in there. It was only a few years after Thriller came out. And if you're old enough to remember this, it was just such a big deal when the bad video and the new album was coming and no one knew when it was gonna drop and all that. And I was fortunate enough, I was an actor at the time and got an audition. It was like in two hours, can you be, I don't know, somewhere in Midtown Manhattan? I went in, it was Martin Scorsese at a table in a dark room. I'm like, <laughs> I think it was just him and me. I, I really don't even remember anyone else was there without maybe I was just pretty fixed on him. <laughs> Quick audition, maybe 10 minutes or something. Went home as an actor, you're always kind of a little discouraged. Oh, I could have been better, did this and that. By the end of the day, I got a call and said, you know, Adam, you'll be Michael Jackson's friend in the video. I don't even know if they knew the song name was revealed, but, you know, Martin Scorsese will direct you as Tip. Tip was the name of the character and with Michael Jackson. So pretty, pretty thrilling. No pun intended there. <laughs> so you show up to the actual shoot and you're in a room with Michael Jackson, you got Martin Scorsese, you got probably dozens and dozens of people all around. Walk us through what happened and how you navigated that situation as a 19-year-old young actor, you know, starring across, at the time, one of the most popular and invisible people in the world, or several of them, I guess. It was definitely high pressure. I remember Quincy Jones was in the next room. I'm in a one-on-one -on -one scene with Michael Jackson. I mean, it's surreal. You're standing there talking to Michael Jackson and Scorsese is directing me. So for a 19 year old, like you say, it's, it's a lot. And there was probably 30 or 40 extras behind me. It was an all boys school in the video. And you know, it's very quiet when they shoot movies. It really is quiet on the set. And so you're like uber aware. I'm doing a scene right now with Michael Jackson. The nugget that I love in this was how Scorsese knew how to work with me. I always knew his actors were just amazing. And he did a very unusual thing. Between the takes, he pulled me to the side and, you know, he's, he's very like this. You know, he's exactly like you imagine a Martin Scorsese being. And he said, how was that for you? What do you, what, what do you think that was like? Was that what's good? Is there anything you would change? Like he was soliciting my opinion. First of all, it kind of blew my mind. Like, not, not asking what you me, were expecting. <laughs> not what I was expecting, right? I'm expecting to have to deliver it. You're low man on the totem pole. Do it, get it, and move on. And what happened instead is Scorsese engaged me. He engaged me as a creative partner in this scene. I had worked with directors for a few years at that point who wanted to tell you how to read the line. Like, could you just say it like this? 
that control over you and you're participating in something creative, nothing could be more antithetical to creating value. And Scorsese enrolled me as a fellow artist and contributor. It was great. You know, I was, I was psyched. I stopped thinking about my situation and I started acting. You could go look at it online. My kids, it's the one thing I'm pretty sure they're proud of their dad about. <laughs> That's awesome. So you have one of the world's greatest directors in a scene with a 19-year-old kid who's an actor starring opposite Michael Jackson. And the first thing he wants to do in between the takes is to ask you what you thought. I mean, that is just genius. It's incredible. I mean, it's pure leadership right there, right? And as you contrasted that with other experiences you had working with other directors, where the pattern was, oh, you need to deliver it this way, which is the equivalent of a leader in our world today saying, you need to do it this way because this is the way it works, versus engaging and asking their opinion and asking for their ideas and asking for their thoughts and you know sharing some of that conversation about what could be done had a dramatic impact on you. And no real surprise why whenever anybody talks about Martin Scorsese, the words that come out are usually quite endearing. Yeah, he had to take a risk of dancing with it. He had to take a risk of going, let's let this thing happen with the 19-year-old who was with Michael Jackson. He was with Michael Jackson. He has his own set of anxieties and concerns and stakes. A last thing on that story, when I first started working with my team really a couple of years ago, I told the story. I said, that is who I want to be as a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I don't say I hit that mark, but to be someone who trusts and engages people like that, it's great. With no regard for, you know, what could possibly come back. I'm sure there was a lot of 19-year-old kids that he asked that question to that maybe he liked what they said, maybe he didn't. But it never stopped him from asking. And I bet every single person he goes on to work with, I imagine, he did the same thing because that's what ultimately got him to be so successful was to hear these different ideas, hear these perspectives, take it internally, and then maybe make a different decision based on something that somebody else came up with. And that's huge. That's huge. All right. So incredible story. Michael Jackson, Martin Scorsese, leadership <laughs> through and through. I just love being able to pull threads like that and, and pieces of advice that you can take home from, again, some of the most incredible leaders in the world, regardless of what discipline or domain they're in, in pop music, in directing, Hollywood, you know, professional world, you know, culture in your community. doesn't matter. There's leadership examples all over. That's just a wonderful story. Let's fast forward to a software project that you told me about. There was another defining moment for you personally as a leader. And walk us through, you know, kind of what the stage was and what really happened and where you kind of took away a whole different perspective just in a matter of a couple minutes. This is really one of the core stories, certainly of my professional life. Like many people listening to this, maybe like most people listening to this that take leadership seriously, you're used to being kind of on the all-star team and you're used to be someone who really gets results and, and makes things happen. And I had signed myself up with a major company to deliver a piece of software that would roll out to like every state and it was going to parse all this data. It doesn't even matter what it was going to do months of doing this, a national campaign to roll it out, this critical piece of software. And the night before it was due, it was like 2 a.m. I'm staying in the offices late with, with another guy who's working with this on. And I realize without a doubt, this will never work. Hmm. 
Now, was there anything that precluded that this will never work that was just pivotal or was it just the situation and the environment and all the things that had happened up to that point? No, it was a surprise kind of bug or something that had come up that was, it was like a deal stopper. Wow. At the 11th hour, literally. At the 11th hour, <laughs> slight sidebar. Let's come back to it. Every project's black death spot because it's another fascinating thing. But it's 2 a.m. I'm with Peter, my fellow developer. We've just killed ourselves for months on this. I realize it won't work. It's very clear in my mind in the following morning, I'm going to have to tell them. Emails are going to go out to Boston. We can't deliver this. It's going to impact, you know, $30 million rollout. People will look at me in the hallways and know Adam had this big plan. He was going to deliver the software and it failed. Did you hear? It failed. And I, I, I was suddenly looking at, wow, I'm going to be the guy that screwed it all up. I hadn't really been that guy before, like the guy who's the loser on the team and very painful. And I remember walking around the big arc of the office building, you know, the lights are automatically turning on, you know, like it's so late at night, we're up to the lights automatically going off. And there was just one moment, a precious moment in my life, maybe for five seconds, I let go of all of it. And I thought, it's okay. I didn't care. It was like all the anxiety of delivering for one little window of time. It was like, you know what? If it fails, it's okay. It was a beautiful moment of freedom for me. And probably about second six, life came rushing back in. And <laughs> I, was, I was right where I was. But it was a window into seeing you could let go on something like that. And the world was going to keep going. It was great for me. The The happy epilogue of that is, and anybody who's developed software knows this, the following morning is a better time to fix bugs than 2 a.m. You know, it probably took me like 10 minutes the following morning to go, I mean, this is easy. It was fixed. It did roll out. And I bet pretty much everyone who's watching this, that code has translated there, moved their information around at some point. So you'll be happy to know your records of the IRS have... I've helped get them <laughs> into the archives. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. Talk about pressure, right? Number one, you were responsible for this project. So the level of pressure for months and months and months leading up to this was huge. But in a lot of leadership situations, it doesn't seem like it could get any greater. And then you get close to a launch point or you get close to a delivery point. It goes even higher, right? That's it. That's the, the piece I was saying. And I started to realize in every big project, there's the black moment of death right at the end when there's not enough time in the clock to solve the problem. I mean, it's true of movies and narratives and movies. There's a point at which you're in Star Wars and the garbage compactor and it couldn't get any worse. But there's a point where the, where the time is so short and the challenge is so big that you, you look at failure. 
and it gets resolved because it, I don't know, most of the time it gets resolved. Maybe sometimes it doesn't, obviously, but I learned from that, that you can expect that moment and that you can pass through those and that they're a function of that time. Like you said, as you get close to that deadline, the smallest thing becomes the challenge. Yeah. And you bring a really interesting point on expecting the moment. And I'm curious for your opinion on the difference of an experience going into something that you expect versus something that you don't expect. So in other projects, in you know, prior to this, I'm sure there was, you know, the black moment of death came up, but maybe it was you never knew where it was gonna come. Like after this experience, having that visceral of a just realization of getting to that end. And you knew that would happen in every software project from that point on. How did that change, you know, how you went into those projects and how you were able to navigate those future black moments of death? You never know when they're coming. And it always feels like you're not going to have them because you're on a schedule and on track. And that's there's a project plan. There's there's a project plan. And and you've, you know, you met your dates or made up on time. When I'm in them, I recognize that that is a part of, of big efforts and lifts and they don't mean the thing is over. They just mean you got to navigate it for a bit. You got to stay with it for a bit. It's ugly. It can get handled. And it doesn't mean it's the death of the project. It may look like that, but it, but it isn't necessarily. Right. And sometimes, you know, despite how much we can say that it will come and whatnot, it's not until you really experience it for yourself. And I'm thinking in terms of specific leadership positions that I've been in and this audience has been in, that it really requires you, as Brene Brown would say, get in the ring, right? And and be willing to get dirty and go through those hard knocks to learn what it's like to be able to navigate them in a more effective and confident way for yourself and for other people. Sometimes it takes just experience and that's okay. But the key thing here that I'm taking away from your story is that no matter the experience, no matter how extreme, being at the point of public failure and potential career humiliation, you can still take away that which was most important, which is, it's okay. I can navigate this. I love what you said. It's getting in the ring. There's a lot of places I look at my leadership and I go, oh, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to speak to that. But one of the things that's helped me career-wise is a willingness to get in the ring, like promising the software. Probably in the last week, I read something that I loved. And the quote was, if you're not embarrassed of the first release of your software, you waited too long. Yep. Love that one. <laughs> I don't remember where I heard that now, but it's just brilliant. And it's not just true for software. It's true for everything. I started a vlog recently. It's all about database technology, Snowflake. And the very first one, it was like painful because it's like, what have I done? I've totally put myself out there and there's no walking it back. And I've got like 2,500 LinkedIn connections and, you know, they'll be howling with laughter. What is he doing? And the V1, you know, isn't as good as the V7. The V7's getting better, but I'm in the ring. So what got that first one when like you were recording and kind of getting it ready before launch, before putting it out there? And you looked at that V1 and you're like, oh my gosh, like, what did I get myself into? What got you through that published point? Because that's the place a lot of people get to and would stop because of the potential fear. So what was it that pushed you over the edge and said, no, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to keep on moving. The fear is real. 
because talk about Brene Brown, the possibility of being ashamed publicly is, you know, no one's idea of a good time. But I committed to doing it. I committed to myself for doing it. I knew it's something I could get better at. I wasn't happy with the V1. But the morning it, it, it was released, this is probably four or five months ago, I just went for a long, you know, you hit the share. And well, you know this, you, you live in this world, you, you've done this. This is, your, this is your world. You hit that share and it lives in the world now. The baby's out. And I just took a long walk. I got a coffee. I couldn't concentrate on any work. You know, I'm alive. I'm, I'm here. You know, it's stepping out there. It's getting in the ring. I'm with you 100%. I was flashing back to um, the first episode I did of this B2B Leadership Podcast series. And I did a solo episode as the very first one to kind of set the primer for what the point of the podcast was and, you know, share my own leadership journey and share my advice that I thought was most important. And it was, it was tough. Like I'd been, you know, in the works and I had been interviewing other people to get, you know, build up a solid stash of episodes before launch and to get it ready. But no matter what, it's still hard to hit. Okay. I'm good. I'm solid. I'm done. And here we are like, you know, 20 some odd episodes in, you know, going much further in the future. Just this thing, I'm committed to this thing for eternity. Like I will be doing this for the next 20 years. I guarantee it, right? Because I just want to get to know people. I want to hear these stories. And I commit that to myself and I commit it to the audience because I get notes from people who say, wow, this is such great stuff. I love hearing these stories and it really helps me. And that gives me tons of fuel. You've been so fun to work with. And when I watched episodes, it looks like you've done it for 20 years. I never think like, oh, what episode number is he on? Has he, has he heart tightened this up yet? No, you just look, it's all professional, it looks good, here you are, and you're in the ring, right? And the people that don't get in the ring don't get the benefit of that. That's right, yeah. That's the takeaway from this this story here is just get in the ring. You're gonna fail. You're gonna go through the black moment of death. You're gonna be uh, probably you know criticized at some point, humiliated at some point. And you know the only thing you can take away is if a person doing that or the people or whatever it is that comes back, at you. You know, if they're not in the ring, it just doesn't matter. If they're in the ring, then you can learn something from them just like Scorsese. Well, how do you think I could do it better? What do you think would be actually better? And that is an immediate diffuser to anybody, you know, that is more or less uh, not being terribly helpful online. <laughs> the activity in life happens at the edges. When you're, you're young and you want to meet the girl, you can't do it with a pack of guys around you. At some point, you got to walk across the room alone. And that's the move all people want to make. And yet, hey, the, the competition just thinned out a lot on that walk across the room, right? Now, you might have to walk back, and a lot of times you do. But, boy, if you'll trade five rejections for one accept, you know, it's you did it. Yeah, know. 100%. 100%. All right. So there's another topic that you and I discussed before this about – the combination of visionaries and integrators. And from a leadership perspective, you've had this own personal experience from running your own business with a very close friend and partner of yours. You've also seen it play out in virtually every organization you've ever been part of. I'm curious for your thoughts on this and advice that you would share to others, you know, thinking about their own leadership journey and what are these elements that have to be there? This is something I've learned. I, I wish I could give credit to who I learned it from because I, I think about it all the time. But the idea is that every successful business has two discrete individuals. I mean, you could prove this wrong, but if you just take this as a, as a notion, one of the individuals is the visionary archetype and the other is the integrator. And the visionary is 
the idea generator, the enthusiasm person, the evangelizer, the one who gets people excited about the product and idea after idea. That person is not the best person to be running a day-to-day -day operation. The integrator says, look, I don't have any of your ideas. In fact, I rarely have ideas, but I can make things happen. And I can lead a team of 800 people and deliver on this. Now, visionary person, I need you out of the room. <laughs> we have enough good ideas. Congratulations, you're amazing, out. And then the integrator can deliver on those visionary ideas. And knowing whether your leadership is visionary, Steve Jobs, or integrator, Tim Cook, and you could feel the difference between those two. You just think about that. They're leading that company totally different ways. That complement is huge. And if you are someone who likes to partner, it's a good way to think about what your best match as a partner is. I had, I think you're alluding to this story. I had a very early business in kind of the early 90s with a guy named Scott Greenberg. And we came out of film school together and we started this company and we made about 10 cents a year for three and a half years. He was an amazing integrator. He could just take stuff and figure out how to work it. He's also an amazing speaker and he's kind of a visionary too, but in making the business and the nuts and bolts of the company go. And it was a really good pairing for that. It was also a good pairing because uh, we learned how to manage the marriage of running a business together and how to deal with 50-50 decisions. Maybe my biggest professional accomplishment is that he's my best friend still after going through all that and what have we 25 years ago. So, wow. um, yeah. That, so what I'm taking away there is having an understanding of what you're naturally talented to do. If you're on the visionary side more, if you're on the integrator side, but recognize it and then fill the void of the things that you're not necessarily talented to do with other people, whether that's on your team, if you're a leader of a team, or whether that's a co-founder or a partner, if you're an entrepreneur and starting a company or starting a venture or whatever it is, no one person has you know, can perfectly do all these things. And that's okay. Like that's, that's the key. It took me a long time to realize that and become a build awareness of that. And I, I just love the story that, you know, it's okay to accept that your focus should be over here because somebody else can do an exponentially greater job here. And sometimes you shouldn't be in the room. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're, it's more helpful for you not to be there. That is um, a very powerful, which is point. a, which is a, a weird leadership notion. Right. But true. Right. Yeah. So sometimes it's all about being present and being there. And then sometimes it's about actually removing yourself from there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Adam, there's been some incredible stories, all kinds of leadership advice. I want to ask you the final question, which is imagine going back to your 19 year old self, walking into the room, into the studio with Michael Jackson, Martin Scorsese, and knowing everything that you know now. I'm curious if you would sit down with yourself and give some advice just, you know, based on your experience, what would you share with your younger self? I take those questions so seriously and I want something to tell my younger self that's super, super meaningful and supportive. But I would say, you got this. And if you don't, it's okay. Go find a way to play with this. You can't tell someone have fun and they have fun, but you can say, however, this ends up, you're doing it. Good for you. Knock him dead. You're meeting Michael Jackson. You're working for Bart Scorsese. Quincy Jones is in the next room. You've done something right, you know, and you're out there. You're living your life, you know. You're, you're in the life. ring. You're, you're in, in the, the ring. ring. 
That's huge. Uh, what incredible advice. <laughs> That's wonderful. All right, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure digging into these incredible stories, leadership tips, and all things throughout your career. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable time and experience with us. I look forward to hearing all the incredible things that you and your team are going to do in the future. Nils, thanks so much for having me on. This is a really fun conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.